Hello, I'm Vincenzo Genovese, journalist from Brussels, where I follow EU news. Today's topic is a long-standing tour in the side of the European Union, the reform of its founding treaties. Treaties are like the handbook of a board game. They lay down what rules the players must follow. Changing them therefore amounts to changing the rules of the game. This usually happens because some of the players no longer like these rules and or because the existing rules are imperfect. In a resolution adopted on the 22nd of November, the European Parliament called for substantial changes to the two fundamental treaties on which the European Union is based. The Treaty on European Union, or TEU, contains the general provisions on the definition of the Union, while the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, TFEU, contains the specific provisions on the Union's institutions and policies. First, the aim is to improve integration between member states, strengthen the Union and give its citizens a greater say on crucial issues. Much of the content of the resolution comes from the Conference on the Future of Europe, a year-long experiment in participatory democracy between 2021 and 2022, involving 800 randomly selected people from across the EU. Within the European Union, the number of votes needed to adopt a law text varies according to the subject and the institution. In particular, member states vote in the Council of the EU either by majority, usually qualified majority, or unanimously. This qualified majority follows the double majority rule, where 55% of member states vote in favour, in practice this means 15 out of 27, and where the proposal is supported by member states representing at least 65% of the total EU population. However, to date decisions on the most sensitive policy areas must be taken by consensus, meaning that any of the 27 member states can oppose and block the choices of all the others. So you have to give in and compromise in order to have everyone on board. The unanimity rule, with its so-called right of veto, applies in many areas, including foreign policy, fiscal policy and the accession of new countries. In fact, veto blockade has occurred several times, most recently at the December European Council, when Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban refused to accept a revision of the EU's long-term budget, including a 50 billion euro package for Ukraine, forcing the other leaders to postpone the matter until next year. I asked Daniel Freund, one of the members of the European Parliament who tabled the resolution in favour of amending the treaties, about the consequences of the current voting system for the EU. I met him at the European Parliament in Strasbourg before the winter break, during a very busy plenary session. If you look at the Union, maybe from Vladimir Putin's point of view, since he invaded Ukraine, he has an interest that the European Union does nothing. And all he needs to do is to have one of the 27 heads of state uh, to, to block the Union, and, and we no longer even have an opinion on war crimes committed in Ukraine. So 
this unanimity is a security threat to the European Union uh, because you can bribe, you can blackmail, you can somehow flip one one person in the room and, and then we no longer can decide, we're no longer uh, capable to act and, and that we really need to change. This is why the European Parliament wants to increase the areas in which decisions can be taken by qualified majority with the agreement of 55% of the member states, that's 15 out of 27, and with at least 65% of the EU's total population. Another major hurdle caused by the unanimity rule is that it is capable of blocking the EU's budget, defined for a period of seven years, says Daniel Freund. Furthermore, a reform of the treaties would allow the EP to contribute to the decision-making process on how much money EU member states should contribute to the EU budget. Today, it is exclusively up to national governments to decide. They must all agree by unanimity on the amount to be paid into the EU coffers. If you compare it, I don't know, with the United States or with Germany, if we would make the national budget by a unanimous vote of the prime ministers of the 16 states in Germany, the, the, the national budget would be a complete mess. And obviously that's not how we do it. Another aim of the proposed reform is to transform the architecture of the European Union into a bicameral system. The comparison with the functioning of a country is of course forced, but for the sake of simplicity we can say that the EU currently has a kind of government made up of the Commission, a parliament, whose representatives are elected by direct suffrage and the council representing each of the member states. Under the current division of powers between the institutions, the parliament does not have the right of legislative initiative, which means that, unlike national parliaments, it does not have the right to propose new laws. Meanwhile, the council has the power to block all the legislation proposed by the European Commission. Today there is a kind of hidden right of legislative initiative, which members of the European Parliament want to develop into a genuine right of initiative. Let's listen to Eric Maurice, former director of the Brussels office of the Robert Schuman Foundation, in an interview conducted by our Euronet Plus colleague on the Belgian media, RTBF. There is currently an intermediate situation, which means that if a resolution of the Parliament is adopted by a majority of its members, the Commission undertakes to propose what the Parliament requests. So it is not an official right of initiative. This depends on the reform of the treaties, which depends on the member states. Obviously, members of the Parliament are asking for it, but it is not going to happen for the time being, because it is the famous debate on the reform of the European Union and the reopening opening of the treaties, and this debate is not close to being settled. As a matter of fact, this change, along with the modification of the voting mechanism within the Council, would remove power from the national governments. As for the European Commission, a major change is also planned in the way its president is appointed. Currently, national governments choose the person and the parliament has to approve him or her. MEPs want to revert the process. And that would not be the only innovation, Daniel Freund told me. Today, 
the commission is is nominated by the governments of member states. So each country sends one commissioner. But again, in, in Germany, the government isn't composed of one representative of each state. Uh, or in France, the government isn't composed of, of one from each region. Uh, but the government is formed, well, by a coalition. But then the most capable people usually are, are named to, to be in the government. And we want that to be true in the European Commission as well. The Commission should also change its name and become the European Executive. This new European Executive should be formed by a maximum of 15 members, according to MEP Freund. We want the Commission to be composed by uh, the leaders of the different political parties that, uh, that win the election uh, and, and that should be composed for political reasons. And then if you don't like the politics of the Commission, well then you vote them out at the next European election and, and you change the government, right? But today uh, that, that, that's not possible. We cannot change the government really and we have very little control about who the national governments are actually sending to Brussels. Moreover, the new president of the Commission should be directly chosen by the European citizens through a system called Spitzenkandidat, under which the post is awarded to the leader of the European party that came out on top in the European Parliament elections and which the EP proposed in another recently approved resolution. Indeed, besides claiming more prerogatives for itself, the European Parliament also calls for the strengthening of citizens' participation instruments in decision-making. Currently, the most important instrument of participatory democracy is the European Citizens' Initiative. With one million signatures from at least seven different member states, it is possible to ask the European Commission to legislate on a specific issue. The original version of the resolution on the reform of the treaties even included the idea of a European referendum on EU policy issues. However, this was dropped from the final text. To understand why, I had a chat in a noisy bar of the European Parliament with another member of the Parliament pushing for treaty reform, the German socialist Gabriele Bischoff, another signer of the proposal. Her group supported the idea but accepted to approve the entire package even without the European referendum, a very controversial issue. There were people that were very strongly in favor of this um, referenda, but also I discussed the, all the proposals in my political group and already when we discussed it from certain, especially member states, um, there, there was concern. Should we really do it and when, uh, on which occasions, etc. Um, but in the end we supported it because you know how it is in Europe, you do a package, there are always things that in you like very much and others you think, hmm, but okay, in, in, in the spirit of compromise. Whether or not there is a referendum, the Parliament's aim is to extend the EU's powers. In their resolution, MEPs call for more policies, which are currently the responsibility of the Member States, to be managed 
at the European level. These include public health and education, particularly as regards the recognition of degrees, titles and qualifications. Defense and military expenditure would also be affected with the establishment of a defense union consisting of military units under EU Operational Command and the joint procurement of weapons. An idea that seems very similar to the idea of the European Army that we have analyzed in our previous episodes. Gabriele Bischoff explains why she defends this idea, adding that the debates on this topic were very long. At the end, MEPs agreed a defense union focused on common purchase of military equipment and coordinated activities. The European Union could save more than 100 um, billion of euro if we would do common purchases and we could invest this uh, in other things, for example. And therefore, we think that was a very good proposal to go ahead, but sort of also propose something that is quite realistic to do, and it would improve the security of Europe, because security in all dimensions, defense, cyber security, social security, is a high concern of citizens. For the European Parliament, amending the founding treaties is already a matter of urgency, but it will be essential when it comes to further enlargements of the EU. And these are just around the corner, with Ukraine and Moldova having just opened accession negotiations with the EU. A European Union with more states than the current 27 could not function without changing its structure. But it is precisely the current rules of the game that make it so difficult to change them. It is theoretically possible to revise the treaties, but this requires highly complex procedures. The procedure chosen in this case is the ordinary revision procedure, provided for in Article 48, Paragraph 2 to 5 of the Treaty on European Union. The first step is to convene a convention, a large extraordinary meeting of representatives of the European institutions and the governments and parliaments of the member states. This is where the problems start. The European Parliament is calling for the convention to be convened from June 2022, but it is being held back by the fact that the decision rests with the Council and must be taken with the approval of more than half of the EU countries. At the time, 13 out of 27 states expressed their opposition in a joint declaration, plus Hungary, which did not sign it, but was government, has voiced its opposition to the initiative. MEP Bischoff, are you confident that this convention can be held? I have not a glass bowl, but I'm very convinced that a convention will come because I think it's also very clear that without reform there will be no enlargement. It will not be possible, but I think it will not be a Christmas tree. It will be targeted treaty changes in the convention. Maybe they, it might help that they agree beforehand in which areas they will do changes. So uh, I'm really convinced a convention will come, and but it, that it will be targeted treaty changes, but they are essential that the European Union will also exist in the future and is also capable to address the challenges, geopolitical, in all areas that we have. 
even if the convention were to be called sooner or later, it would only be the first step on a road strewn with pitfalls. Once adopted, the amendments would have to be submitted to an intergovernmental conference, EGC, an assembly made up entirely of members of national governments. Any changes would, once more, require the agreement of all countries. And here we come back to the problem of the overriding veto that I mentioned at the beginning. Unanimity is needed even to scratch unanimity from the EU. In other words, we are not out of the woods yet. That's all for today, but I'll be back soon with more news and deep dives into the EU topics. Stay tuned!